This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today we continue our special series on the sinking of the Lusitania, that terrible event when the huge Cunard passenger liner en route from America to Liverpool was sunk off the coast of Ireland by a German U-boat in May 1915, killing 1,193 people. If this is the first episode you have come to, please go back to our back catalogue and listen to the other two parts. An introduction to the Lusitania tragedy, in which we talk about the ship, why she was built, when and where, and what happened within the context of global shipping, and also the outbreak of the First World War. And also an episode in which we introduce the Imperial War Museum's collection of eyewitness testimony. And I talked to Anthony Richards, an expert on witness testimony and who has written a book on eyewitness accounts of the sinking of the Lusitania. This episode is all about those primary sources. We're bringing you some of that eyewitness testimony that Anthony uncovered in the process of his work at the Imperial War Museum and in his research for his book. First up, we have Leslie Morton, an 18-year-old travelling home to England with his brother Cliff in order to join up and fight in the war. They were both working their passage home as lookouts. Leslie had worked at sea since the age of 13. He may have been young, but he was certainly not inexperienced. Wartime precautions had led to the introduction of an increased watch system when in danger zones in order to give as much advance warning as possible of an attack. 
Now, Leslie had just begun one of these extra two-hour shifts that afternoon at 2pm. My position was in the eyes of the ship. My particular section was the starboard bow, from right ahead to a beam. There were four of us on the lookout altogether, covering the whole area. It was a beautiful day, the sea was like glass, and as we were going to be in Liverpool the next day, everybody felt very happy. We hadn't paid a great deal of attention to the threat to sink her, because we didn't think it was possible. The first ten minutes I walked up and down, keeping a keen lookout, and ten past two I saw a disturbance in the water. Obviously the air coming up from a torpedo tube, and I saw two torpedoes running towards the ship, fired diagonally across the course, and the Lucy was making about 16 knots at the time. I reported them to the bridge with a megaphone we had to say, Torpedoes are coming on the starboard side! By the time I'd had the time to turn around and have another look, they hit her amidships between number two and three funnels. Unfortunately, the torpedo... One of them went through the luggage room where the whole of the starboard watch who'd left 15 minutes before were working, getting out luggage. So in that one foul swoop we lost the whole of the starboard watch of seamen for the necessary work that had to follow soon on the boat. Leslie's observation that there were two torpedoes was wrong, but it was shared by numerous people that day. In fact, there is another example later in this podcast. The mistake was possibly because an enormous secondary explosion followed the initial torpedo strike. Immediately after that initial torpedo strike, Leslie's first thoughts were for his brother. I went down the forward scuttle to see if my brother, who was in the other watch down below, had got out. I met him coming up, using seaman's language about it. And then I went straight to my boat station on the top deck, which was number 11 boat on the starboard side. The ship was heeling over about 35 degrees to starboard by this time, and with the inrush of water, which made all the boats on the port side useless if our own stations didn't get away. There I met my brother. He was at that boat at one end. He had one end of it, and I took the other. We got her full of people by lowering it down to deck level as the ship heeled over and lowered it into the water. The ship was heeling over all the time and with the boat full we tried to push off from the ship's side but many of the passengers hung on to the ship. They didn't feel that the big ship should be let go from this little boat they were in and as the Lucy came further over the davit hooked on the near side gunwale of the boat and started to tip it inboard with all the people in it. And I yelled out to my brother, ''Where are you going?'' He went over the side at one end. I went at the other. I was a little worried because I knew we couldn't swim until I hit the water and came to the top. I took an instinctive look over my shoulder and he was doing a marvellous double trudgeon stroke for France, apparently, 130 miles away, getting along beautifully. Then, remembering a collapsible boat that had slipped off the deck a few minutes before, I should say the whole thing was over in 15 minutes. It takes longer to tell. I remember this collapsible boat slipping off the deck and I went back over the course as the Lucy passed me. She was underway all the time, the engines were going all the time. They couldn't cut them off due to torpedo damage. I found this collapsible boat and ultimately got the sides up and in due course picking up people, everybody helping, we got it full of people. 
Leslie then made it back to Queenstown and he found himself directly involved in one of the most distressing tasks that remained, not only for him, but for the authorities and many of the survivors who were still in Queenstown, because they had to go to the morgues and see if they could find and identify the dead. There were so many dead that hotels, hospitals and the town hall and the market hall all became mortuaries. The dead lay as they were found in the clothing in which they had been taken from the water. It was into this horror that Leslie now walked looking for his brother, who he knew was not a strong swimmer. It was all a bit of a nightmare. It didn't make a great impression on my mind then. I was only 18 and one doesn't see tragedy when you're so near to it. And having got ashore, I was a bit worried as to where my brother had got to. By this time, the bodies were being brought in and taken up to a house that they'd allocated for the dead in Queenstown, and I went through the various corpses, turning back cloths, looking for my brother. At one bed, a hand turned over a cloth at the same time that I did, and it was my brother. Of course, we were glad to see each other, and we went out and duly proved that we were far from being dead. It was quite a day. The second account comes from Grace French, a 24-year-old dressmaker returning home to Scotland. During the voyage, she had met a young man named Preston Pritchard, and they had got on famously. Her account is charming and horrifying for its charm and light-hearted and flirtatious air, as we can see through a window into the lives of two people that have crossed over, possibly forming a relationship that could have lasted for the rest of their lives. Grace takes us to lunch at 1pm on the day of the tragedy. Well, the eventful Friday arrived, and in the course of conversation, Mr Pritchard remarked that I had a double on board, and that he'd spoken to this girl mistaking her for me. One or two of the other men at the table, it seems, did the same thing, so Mr Pritchard volunteered to point her out to me after lunch. We were at the first lunch, and Mr Pritchard finished first and rose from the table a few minutes before I did, telling me as he left that he would meet me on deck. I presume he went to his cabin for his cap. I left the lunch table, got my hat and coat, and also went on deck, where we met. The time between when he left the table and I joined him again couldn't have been more than ten or fifteen minutes at the most. I spoke to two friends on my way up who asked me where I was going. I replied that Mr Pritchard was going to present me to my double and passed on. I then joined him and we walked around laughing at the idea. I said to him, I wonder if I could recognise this girl myself. I remember joking in this way and looking all around. We heard people's voices and thinking that they'd seen silverfish in the water, we went to the side railing. Instead of fish, we saw the streak of a torpedo directly beneath where we were standing. When it hit the side of the boat, people were yelling and screaming and fighting to get into the lifeboats. The ship listed so much that we all scrambled down the deck and for a moment everything was in confusion. When I came to myself again, I glanced around, but I could find no trace of Mr Pritchard. He seemed to have disappeared. Grace then takes us to the last moments on board Lusitania as she begins to sink. 
I ran around the deck looking for a life belt, but I couldn't get one. I then ran along to the first class deck to try the lifeboats there when the second torpedo struck her. I felt all hope was gone as far as the boats were concerned as she was sinking so rapidly. So I ran back to my place where I was standing when she was first struck, took off my heavy coat and climbed out over the rail and jumped into the water with the hope of catching hold of a piece of wreckage. The suction pulled me down and I felt that I was going to my death. But fortune came my way and I rose to the surface, this time caught a small piece of wood and floated with it until I was picked up by a collapsible lifeboat and eight hours after was landed at Queenstown. On Saturday morning I made inquiries regarding Mr Pritchard from one or two persons that knew him but could not gain any news of him at all. I had the hope that perhaps he had been saved and brought to some other place. Several times I've mentioned in my home about Mr Pritchard taking me to see my double and how sadly it all ended. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finally, we have the account of Alice Lines, an English nurse travelling as part of the family retinue of her American employers, Surgeon Major Warren Pearl and his wife Amy. The 18-year-old Alice and fellow nurse Greta Lawrenson had been entrusted with the couple's four children, ranging in age from the three-month Audrey to her five-year-old brother, Stuart. Quite honestly, why they wanted to come back to England, I don't know. But naturally, I wanted to come home. The whole family saw us off. It was a great to-do to see the boat, the people. They were all very jolly. Thoughts of war didn't seem to enter anybody's head. But we had warnings that they were going to torpedo us. And I said to my employer, I told her that they're going to sink this boat. So she said, oh, don't take any notice, dear. It's just propaganda. And in any case, what could I do? I had a leaflet put into my hand as we were leaving New York, saying that we were going at our own risk. Cunard was so sure that they couldn't possibly torpedo a ship that size. And, again, I think that they wouldn't sink a ship that had got women and babies, because there was a tremendous number in third class of them coming back to their husbands. Alice was in her cabin when the torpedo hit, she was feeding the 12-week-old Audrey and keeping an eye on the five-year-old Stuart. The remaining two children were back upstairs with the other family nurse. While I was feeding the baby, there was a terrific bang. My instinct told me what it was. The boy was lying on the bunk bed and I just picked the shawl up as she was lying on the shawl, wrapped her in it and tied the corners round her neck. I never thought but just did it. And I crossed over to Stuart and he was crying. I don't want to be drowned. I don't want to be drowned. But he was just old enough to understand that there was something wrong. 
I said to him, now, darling, you are going to be all right. Do as I tell you. Hang on to me. Never mind what happens. If I fall down, don't let go. I said, if you obey me, you won't drown. We got up one flight of stairs and there was a terrific bang. The second torpedo. The nurse was up at the top and she called down to me, what shall I do? And I said to her, where is Bunny? She said a stewardess had taken her to a lifeboat. Now I said, well, we're all for ourselves. You look after Susie and don't you worry about anything else. Just save the child and yourself. Just as I got outside on the stairway, there were men, the husbands of the wives, I take it, who were throwing money and things of importance to their wives into the lifeboats. We eventually managed to get to the top of the lifeboat deck and I was on the port side. To get to the boat, it was a climb. The ship was going. The people were falling in on the opposite side and a sailor came and grabbed Stuart and I followed. And he threw Stuart over the rail to a lifeboat and the lifeboat was just ready to go. It was full. Now I went to jump into the lifeboat and the sailor grabbed me back and he said, it's full. There's plenty of room in the next one. I'm afraid I did get a bit hysterical. I yelled and to be quite honest, I bit his hand and he let go and I jumped thinking I was only going to jump quite naturally into the lifeboat but I jumped just as the lifeboat was going down and I went off to the side of it. The lifeboat landed in the water almost as I did and a man who was in the lifeboat leaned forward and grabbed me by the hair and I toppled over into the lifeboat so I always say that my hair saved my life and the baby was very tightly tucked up round my neck. When I got into the lifeboat I passed out. When I came round, somebody had got the baby and I called out, where's my baby? And a lady put the baby in my lap. And by the side of me was a very, very excitable man. He was a Frenchman and he said to me, if you've lost your husband, don't worry, you come and live with me. And when we were rescued by our British gunboat, the officer asked me whether he was being a nuisance and I said, yes, he is. And they got rid of him somewhere or other. But he was absolutely hanging on to me but it tickled me that I'd got a husband right away. We sang hymns. We sang Abide With Me as we pulled for the shore. We kept ourselves bright all the time. There was no panic on the lifeboat. I was trying to think how long we were rowing. A long, long time. An Irish fishing boat. He called out over a megaphone, Would you like a tow? And one of the stewardesses said yes. If we throw it at you, will you let them know that we've helped you? Well, I mean, fancy waiting to ask that. We were pulled for quite a long old time, and then a British ship picked us up. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, if you have enjoyed this, do please go to our back catalogue and listen to the other episodes on the Lusitania. And there are several more on other shipwrecks if you are interested in maritime disasters. If you've also enjoyed listening to the first-hand testimony, do also please check out earlier episodes of the podcast where we have numerous examples of eyewitness accounts read out of some of the most extraordinary events. The episode on eyewitness accounts from the Battle of Trafalgar is particularly good, as is that of the great sea fight from the War of 1812 between USS Constitution and HMS Guerriere. 
Now, to go with all of this wonderful audio, we've also been creating some fabulous, innovative video content. So do please find the Mariner's Mirror podcast on both YouTube and now TikTok. I'm particularly pleased with our recent mini-series, filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. But best of all, please do join the Society for Nautical Research. Your small subscription will support this podcast. It'll give you access to four printed copies a year of the excellent Mariner's Mirror Journal, as well as all of the back catalogue. That's over a century's worth. And you get to enjoy all sorts of fantastic membership perks, not least dinner on board HMS Victory. You can find out all about this at snr.org.uk. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.